Uh, the first reading, first reading today is from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 21. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all of the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders, leaders of my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever for me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word, and according to your will, you have done this great thing, and made it known to your servant. And the second reading this morning is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. 
How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Just before I um, uh, get into the, the things that I've prepared to say, just two quick notes. One, we don't have a usual stack of Bibles, um, so uh, if you would like a Bible, and may I suggest that you um, uh, should, like, <laughs> that's a bit rough, um, should want a Bible with you, it'll absolutely help you as you go through. Then um, quickly go into your app store now and dial one up on your phone. Uh, you might like to grab the U version Bible app or just talk to the person who's near you in your row and say, which Bible app do you use? And then nick that one from them um, as, a, as a recommendation. So um, uh, in, in the main, I like to have the, the sort of, you know, print version in front of me at church. Um, that's just because of how I like to do it. Um, but if I can absolutely see the case for having a, um, your app there, it's so wonderful for searching, isn't it? Um, so I'll just give you a second to do that. And the second thing, I noticed uh, that in answer to our prayers uh, over um, a little while now, the Gibb family have returned to church. It's wonderful to see them. I don't think they're still in the room, but they were before. I'd just love to thank God for his provision for them. So can I lead us in a quick prayer in that regard, please? Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, we thank you so much that you know all of our needs. You're attentive to uh, the state of our bodies and the state of our hearts. You care for us in every respect, and Christ is a great saviour for our whole selves. And uh, God, thank you for answering our prayers to restore the Gibbs back to us, and particularly Harry. Uh, We pray for your ongoing care for them as as he recovers. Please sustain um, their whole family and help us as a church to rally around them as we're able um, and as is helpful. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Have you got uh, Luke chapter 1 open in front of you there from verse 26? Uh, so from wh- what have we got there? An angel from the Lord, an angel from the Lord appears to Mary, uh, promises the miraculous, declares an unbelievable future, disappears back to the heavens, right? So we read it, so we know it, I suspect, so we've heard it year upon year upon year. Uh, it's woven into our Christmas heritage and our Tradition, it's, we see it, we sing it in our carols, we see it in our art uh, from down the ages, we hear it in our stories and in our songs. Now, for most of us here today, we are talking about the foundation of our very faith, or at least a really large chunk of it, right? The story of the life of Jesus, which ultimately then carries on life, death, resurrection, um, ascension, and looking forward to his Return, uh, But here we look at the moment that God has come to our earth, or at least the promise of it, uh, entered our world, walked among us uh, in ant- anticipation of his death for us and his resurrection. 
Uh, so that's for most of us here today. We're talking about the foundation of our faith. But for some of us here, some of us at least, uh, we're perhaps not quite so sure. Um, perhaps some of us hold stories uh, from the Bible, and this one particularly, with a certain scepticism. Um, Harbouring in our hearts, can I put it this way, the doubts of Alice. Alice through the looking glass in her conversation with the White Queen uh, in Wonderland. Doubts about whether we can ever believe miraculous angelic promises or the like. Do you remember Alice? Have you ever read the book? So come with me for a moment to Wonderland and we pick up the conversation as the White Queen attempts to chip away at Alice's stubborn unwillingness to believe remarkable things. And the Queen knows exactly what to do. She offers Alice some coaching on how better to believe thoroughly impossible things and absurd things. So the White Queen says to Alice, let's consider your age to begin with. How old are you? asks the Queen. I'm seven and a half exactly. That's Alice speaking. You needn't say exactly, the Queen remarked. I can believe it without that. Now I'll give you something to believe. I am just 101, five months and a day. I can't believe that, said Alice. Can't you, said the Queen in a pitying tone. Try again. Draw a long breath and close your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying. She said, one can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the Queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Oh, there goes my shawl again. The brooch had come undone as she spoke and a sudden gust of wind blew the Queen's shawl across a little brook. The Queen spread out her arms again and went flying after it. And this time she succeeded in catching it for herself. I've got it, she cried in a triumphant tone. It's Alice in Wonderland and uh, through the looking glass. Uh, Folks, a 101-year-old, five months and one day queen flying, and at that point in the story, I'm not sure if that's actually supposed to be literal flying, across a brook in a wonderland that you access through a mirror, lecturing a little girl on how to believe absurdities, seemingly just for the fun of it. So goes Lewis Carroll's little fairy tale. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, as we come to God's word to us in Luke's account of Gabriel's visit to Mary with this angelic guide promising the miraculous and declaring the barely believable, I put it to you that what we need is not practice in believing six impossible things before breakfast. There's no long breath and shut your eyes. We need not minds so open that our marbles fall out, but we do need something remarkable. Let me say it clearly. I'm not a fan nor an advocate of forcing belief in the impossible. I'm not going to be coercing you toward faith in fairy tales. I'm not going to be trying to quiet your questions. I'm not going to encourage you to suppress your scepticism. But I would like to challenge us today to lift our eyes above the limits of what mere humans are capable of manufacturing. Christmas speaks of a salvation that is above us. 
that is beyond our ability, uh, which is precisely why it demands our attention and stands to change our lives and ought to stir our hearts. That's what we're looking at this morning. I mean, to call us to believe in Jesus this Christmas, intelligently and practically and firmly and wondrously and joyfully. So how about we pray as we turn to Luke chapter 1. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, you are the same God who sent Gabriel to Mary. You're the one God who was there in the beginning and even before the beginning. Please would you put us back in touch with the reality of this old, old story this morning, we ask, spectacular as it may seem. For we are reading of a moment where you, our God, intervened in space and time. So what we crave and what we desire and ask for is a clearer view of what happened. We don't want to be foggy or gullible. We want to be people of clear-headed conviction, even as we're full of wonder and delight. So would you give us, please, a deeper grasp, a deeper grasp of our God and of our world and even of ourselves, and not just of a tall tale to entertain us. Father, would you sharpen our attention to your word, please? even though this part of it may be very familiar to us? And would you rekindle rekindle and refresh our love for Jesus this morning, the Jesus of this extraordinary but true tale, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Fix your faith on the one who came from God for us forever. There's our big idea. That is the pointy end, I think, of this bit of Luke's Gospel and the pointy end of my message for us this morning. Fix your faith on the one who came from God for us forever. Um, But allow me just to bring us up to speed, remind us for a few moments. Do you remember where we got to last Sunday in in the text in Luke's Gospel? Um, We take it up today from chapter 1, verse 26. By this time, what's happened? God has already done the extraordinary and miraculous once in Luke's Gospel. God promised a very elderly, previously childless, in fact barren and socially disgraced, but nevertheless godly and wonderful woman, um, Elizabeth, a baby. Lo and behold, she became pregnant with baby John, a baby destined, Gabriel told us at the time, to make way for God's new king, whomever he might be when he arrives on the scene. Uh, Gabriel announced that miracle, not actually to Elizabeth directly, but to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband and John's soon-to-be dad. But do you remember, Zechariah, he had a tough time believing Gabriel, and so he was literally struck dumb. Uh, Why? Oh, perhaps as a sign of God's power uh, or as a judgment on Zechariah's unbelief or I personally suspect simply to convince Zechariah that God's word ought to be believed when you hear it. Gabriel said it and so it was. So we left the story where? With pregnant Elizabeth hidden away in retreat from the world. Uh, We're not entirely sure why, perhaps to preserve her in such a fragile state there as an elderly though pregnant woman. Uh, as baby John grew within her. And now five months have passed with her in seclusion. So Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, our big idea is to, it's the call really, to fix your faith on the one who came from God for us forever. And my points cover what I see as two miracles in the passage plus a third one. So the first point, the first miraculous promise is forever, forever. 
Gabriel presents Jesus as the most significant person to ever walk this planet. And a big part of that boils down to this one almost unbelievable description of Jesus forever. Let's read from verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favour with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son and you were to call him Jesus. Now just pause there just for a moment. We're going to pick it up in just a second. There's nothing actually miraculous so far, is there? Uh, In fact, apart from the angel, uh, the scene is kind of ordinary. Uh, A person is saying to, or an angel is saying uh, to a young woman, you'll have a baby. But notice, uh, we haven't got the promise that it's going to be a virgin birth just yet. That'll come in a moment. Young women have babies all the time, don't they? And though she's a virgin, she's on her way to getting married, so there's presumably no problem. Everything sounds quite normal so far. Uh, Yes, and we know that Joseph, we've been told, belongs to King David's family line, which, especially if we're attuned to that 2 Samuel 7 reading that was read to us before, uh, it does arouse our expectations of perhaps an announcement of royalty. It it, it, It whets our appetite for something there. More on that shortly. Probably the most odd thing is actually just that the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, would appear to such a nobody, relatively speaking at least, and with such a glowing, sort of out of nowhere affirmation, greetings you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. That's the weirdest part, I think, so far. Let's keep reading. Because things get properly miraculous from here. Verse 32, Gabriel speaking. He, as in this child to be born, he'll be great and it will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. <laughs> I just want to say, that is not normal. <laughs> that is out of the ordinary. That is extraordinary. We aren't in Kansas anymore. Now, for those of us who are unfamiliar with some of the background, um, it's true that in the Bible, sometimes Israel's kings were referred to as God's sons. Uh, In fact, we heard that a little bit before. Normal human kings, ordinary sons with earthly, though royal fathers, kings who ruled God's people for God. And so the Bible, at a few key points, calls them God's son, or God refers to them as my son, which is a high calling, but it's not necessarily divine, the son of God. But notice how much further Gabriel goes. Pay attention to the language here. He's absolutely shattering that mould, I think. Uh, Verse 32, son of the most high. That's not just the familiar son of God phrase. And especially verse 33, forever his kingdom will never end. Because you remember the promise from 2 Samuel 7, right? Let me read it to you again. This promise of a forever king. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, uh, he, that is David's son Solomon, he is the one who will build a house for my name, says God, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father and he'll be my son. 
And further down, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And as we read on in, in, uh, in Samuel and then Kings, I think we're thinking, yeah, but Solomon died. So did all of his sons. So what happened to forever, God? What happened to that promise, God? Gabriel enters the scene. Gabriel is challenging Mary to believe something absolutely unbelievable, something thoroughly extraordinary. Gabriel is saying, we are about to meet the most significant human being to ever walk the earth. Someone who will be forever. Someone for whom, think about all of your ancestors, all of your relatives, someone for whom death will not be the end. You're about to meet the most significant person ever. Mary, in the saving plans of God, you're going to bear a king the likes of which the world has never seen, one who will forever after shape and change this planet and all of its people. Folks, I think forever is one of the most fabulous promises of the Christmas story. I wonder if we've forgotten that. It feels like a, in some ways like a story that's locked back in history for it, doesn't it? it locked back in history for us, doesn't it? No. It's a story of forever entering our world. Do we still have our faith in that? And I'm not asking you to believe the impossible. I'm asking you to remember the rest of the story. Remember, trace forward, see where it actually goes in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That you've found in Jesus the most significant person you will ever meet. The Son of God who leads those he loves Uh, through not only life but death and beyond, the death-destroying David who's sent to show the world the way into forever. The first miracle that's promised here of Christmas is forever. The second is from God, from God. And we've touched on this already, but Gabriel now really just goes all out. Let's read from verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Friends, please don't miss this. The Christmas story is absolutely miraculous. We should not apologise for that. We should not avoid that or attempt to explain it away. Christmas is great news, but it is great news from God, about God intervening in our world. The Christmas story isn't just that we humans... Uh, you know, voila, we managed to manufacture our way into forever. No, it's not forever but from us. It's forever from God. It's not as if Jesus was merely from Joseph, just the son of Joseph. No, in fact, he's not at all the son of Joseph. Mary asks the very practical question, how? To which Gabriel gives a perfectly impossible answer, doesn't he? Impossible, that is unless Jesus is from God. Can I read this to you? Um, James Montgomery Boyce, a Christian writer, 
Um, he noticed the way our Western culture has increasingly tried to explain away the miraculous. Um, you know, we shy away from anything too extraordinary. But Gabriel's whole point is that he's promising something so stupendously wonderful. He's promising something that must be from God. A word from God so spectacular that the only way that it could come about is if it does come from the hand of the one in heaven. So Boyce says this, he says, When we talk about the chief points of Jesus' life and work, we are talking about things that are admittedly supernatural. There have been tendencies in the history of the church to try to explain them away, to say, if only we had a few more details or understood a little more biology or physics or chemistry, then we would be able to explain how some of these things were done. Which is kind of like Mary's question, isn't it? How? Uh, We live, says Boyce, we live in an age when people think materialistically, as if what we can see and measure and touch is all that is. But that is not the nature of things according to the Bible. When we talk about miracles, we're talking about God who created matter, material things, and who therefore is different from and greater than matter. Such a God can obviously do whatever he wants with what he created. How? How will this be? Mary asks. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. These verses, they call us, don't they? To find in Jesus, not just a great guy, he was a great guy, by the way, but not just a great guy, but a miraculously magnificent gift from God to our world. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. And perhaps for you today, perhaps that just seems beyond belief. And if that's you, please don't just breathe deep and close your eyes and wait for belief to wash over you. Instead, dig deep and don't stop until the gospel has got you. It's won you, your mind and your soul and your heart and your life. And my encouragement to believers is very much the same. Christian, we do remember that we've found in Jesus something truly wonderful from God, don't we? We've found in Jesus our forever from God, which leads to my final point, which is the call to each of us to fix your faith. And fix, that is, by the way, it's a bit of an unusual, um, kids, a a bit of an unusual use of the word fix. Uh, I don't mean fix as in you dropped your faith on the concrete and now it's got a smashed screen and you need to get it repaired. Not that kind of fixed. Fixed as in like focus it on a thing. Fix it on, fix it on, fix your faith. Um, uh, As in focus it firmly on Jesus. Make your life about him, make your future about him, your forever about him. Fix our faith on him, on Jesus. Now, I said that there were two miracles plus an extra one, right? Firstly, Jesus is forever. Secondly, he's from God, not just from Joseph. So where's the third miracle? Well, maybe miracle uh, is a bit much, but I do reckon God has done something pretty special in the life of Mary, and it's the kind of special that I hope he is doing in each one of us this morning. Could we briefly trace our way through what God has done in Mary's life, just in this passage, 
uh, I see that we have three touch points here. The first one crops up in that weird phrase, actually, back up in verse 29. Uh, let's read from verse 27, part the way through there. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. The phrase there in verse 29 is oddly vague, isn't it? Wondered what kind of greeting. What do you suppose that even means? My hunch is that Mary, having been presumably raised with uh, the scriptures, that Mary knows how encounters with angelic messengers or visions of God, she knows how those usually go for God's people. You think about Moses and the burning bush and the extraordinary journey that set his life toward or Elijah and his experiences of God, or even Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord way back in Genesis. When you have an encounter with the word of God, you can count on it being good, spectacularly, wonderfully, uh, savingly good, but you cannot count on it being easy. In fact, it might just take you on the scariest or the hardest or the weirdest and probably most wonderful journey of your life. There's the first touch point that we have of Mary and what God's doing in her life in the passage. Second touch point is verse 34. In reply to the promise of a baby for Virgin Mary, how has Mary's faith, do you think, become firm and fixed yet? Or is she still figuring it out? Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? What do you make of Mary's tone there? Is it firm belief? Is it flaky doubt? Is it figuring it out? She does sound an awful lot like Zechariah, doesn't she? Back up in verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is still well along in years. How, says Mary, will this be since I'm a virgin? Friends, at best, I suspect Mary is still figuring it out at that point in the story. And perhaps you in your life, you feel like, far out, if I fix my faith on Jesus and this kind of wild, barely believable but seriously spectacular Christmas story of the Christ from God... If I put my faith in that, there's so much on the line. It would mean a pretty dramatically different life for me to fix my faith on Jesus. And I think I'd want to say, yes, that's right. Could you actually just put yourself yourself in the shoes of Mary for a moment here? If she goes with Gabriel's words here, God's words to her through Gabriel, you're pregnant but not from your fiancé, do you see? Faith for Mary would put her at odds with her own husband-to-be as if he's going to believe her. And in fact, we know that he doesn't believe her and he needs a visit from the angel Gabriel to convince him that he should believe her. It's going to put her under the suspicion of her community 
As if they're going to buy this whole angel of the Lord appeared to me business overshadowed by the most high sort of um, stuff. I mean, would you? And never mind the fact that Jesus, this God, man, king, well, he's going to command even Mary's life. You can see that, can't you? If he's king over Israel, then she's giving birth to a child who will control her very life, command her faith, become her king. And she doesn't get to be queen. The third touch point is verse 38. And I think we witness here our third miracle in the passage, at least as I see it, verse 38, where she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. Isn't that an extraordinary response from a mere human to the word of God? To conclude, I wonder if each of us would take a moment to meditate on Mary's personal little miracle of faith for ourselves. Has it happened to us as we reflect on the Christmas story, as we think about Christ coming to the world? Has a miracle of faith happened in our lives? Here's James Montgomery Boyce again. He says, I want to say that these miracles need to have their counterpart in us. We too need to believe the good news concerning this child, that he is the saviour sent by the Father to deliver us from sin. And we need to commit ourselves to him in wholehearted trust and obedience. Have you done that? Have you done that? Or do you need to do it again this Christmas, committed yourselves once again in wholehearted trust and obedience? What did Alice say? I can't believe that. Can't you? Try again. Draw a long breath. Shut your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying, she said. One can't believe impossible things. Well, leave us with this. Christmas isn't for the gullible or just for the people with overly playful imaginations, or for those who need a good salt of breakfast to settle down their minds when they've believed six impossible things before then already in the day. Christmas is for people who have come to see that in Jesus, God has done the impossible. Something that is forever, something that is from him, something so fantastic that it might just take our lives anywhere. And that's what makes it absolutely worth believing and sharing and celebrating and wondering in this Christmas. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Our dear Father in heaven, we do thank you actually for the fun and wonderful uh, things that we get to enjoy, not just at this time of year, but throughout the year. Stories from our favourite authors of fantastic stuff, stuff that's fun, but it's just fantasy. Stories that aren't real, they're a fairy tale that we can visit for a while and be refreshed by as we face the real world. But God, we especially want to thank you far, far more for your great work, which isn't just a work of art, it's life. The far-out story from God of our forever King Jesus. God, how wonderful it is to find our God in our world who came for us. May Jesus be our joy, may he be our song this Christmas the one who refreshes and inspires us to live the adventure of faith that you would have us take with you, come what may. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.